Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Heart and Soul. In this series, we learn that as the body of Christ, we are united around one message, bound by something greater than ourselves. We are the sum total of our gifts. We serve the same Lord, and we are moving with a common purpose. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome, man. I am excited. It's already been a good morning, man. Worship was awesome. Um, and, and we've got baptisms after the service. That's going to be cool, man. It's going to be awesome to see people celebrating, going from death to life. So I know some of you are here specifically for that reason, to watch somebody you love be baptized. And we're glad you're here. I'm glad all of you are here. And, and just believing that God is going to do some awesome things in people's lives here today. And we are, we're going to celebrate that like crazy today. And I just really believe that God is going to do amazing, amazing, amazing things. Man, we're not talking about pornography. We're not talking about homosexuality. Not talking about abortion. And we're not talking about sex. Let's go home. You know what I'm saying? But uh, we are moving into a new series that I believe is going to be awesome. As you saw from the bumper, we're we're doing a series now. um, Something that the Lord put on our heart a long, long time ago to do. I'm called Heart and Soul. And, And Heart and soul is what we call people here at Connection Church who are, um, are like our members. Um, we don't really have membership. We have people who say we're heart and soul. And heart and soul means exactly what they said in that video, that, that we're one. That heart and soul, we are together as one. We're united around one message, the gospel. We're bound together by something greater than ourselves, the Holy Spirit. That Listen, we're not um, just about one person's gift, but we're the sum total of the, everybody's gift in here that God has given you, that we are the body of Christ and that God uses us in amazing ways to do amazing things for his kingdom. He does great things in us so he can do great things through us. Um, and listen, we're, we're united behind a common purpose to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. And we have had an incredible privilege to see that happen over and over again um, the last few years, man. And, and, and as I stand here talking to you today, I'm just overwhelmed. I was, I was walking out from backstage and I was like, God, what an awesome thing, but what an awesome responsibility we have also, because God has entrusted us with so much. And listen, I truly believe this with all my heart that the best is yet to come in what God's going to do, not just in connection church, but in this community as he transforms lives and transforms hearts. And God does incredible things through each one of us. Um, they told me to introduce myself when I came out here today and I forgot, I'm not good at that. I don't really like it, but I'm Brandon Williams. In case you have never been here before. Um, I see some of you in the hallway and after you walk by, you go, Hey, I'm like, Hey, and you're like, are you the guy that speaks here? So yes, I am. Um, and, uh, but I'm glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24, put one finger there, flip over. A couple of uh, books go through John to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be reading these scriptures today. The next five weeks, we're going to talk about some things that are incredibly important to the church. We're going to be talking about some things that, that we have to be about and that have to be a part of us if we're going to be heart and soul and we're going to do the things that God's called us to do. We're going to begin this today by looking at, at gosh, man, an awesome, awesome topic because it's, it's God. But we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, what that looks like, how that happens. And my prayer is today that he truly moves in our hearts, that we, we leave here today different. We leave here today um, closer to Christ, closer to God, closer to what Jesus wants us to be so that we can glorify him 
more. So Luke chapter 24, we're going to be reading first uh, there, verse 45 through 53. We're going to read that. Then we're going to flip over to Acts 1, read 1 through 8. Then we're going to pray and we're going to jump in here. It says in verse 45 of Luke 24, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is after Jesus was dead. He was resurrected. He comes to them. He he tells them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been, listen, clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them while he was blessing them. He left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Acts chapter one, verses one through eight. In my former book, Theophilus, by the way, Luke is writing both of these books. So he's saying in my former book, this is written to a man named Theophilus. Don't name your child Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. But listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For this opportunity to open your word, God, I do believe that it is living and it is active. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, by the power of him that we will be talking about today, that it will sink deep into our hearts, change our hearts, change our lives, that we would bring you glory, that we would walk in power, that we would walk in faith, that we'd walk in trust and we'd walk in forgiveness and victory in Christ. May it be so now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Listen, how many handymen we got in here? Any handymen? Handymen. Come on, guys. All right, how many of you try to be handymen around the house? All right. How about women? Women, some of you women, you do stuff around the house. You, you're the handy woman. Yeah. Now, listen, listen. How many of you like to start projects and not finish them? Come on. Let's be honest. We're in church. We can be honest here. All right. That is me. Like, I love to start projects. I love to start them around the house. I love to, one time Susan came home and I was knocking the brick off the back of the house, adding on a bathroom. Um, it's pretty crazy, pretty awesome feeling like you just start knocking the brick off the back of your house. But um, I love to start projects. My problem is I don't like to finish them. I love to get them going. I love to get the tools together. I love to get the materials together. I love to get all the stuff and the gadgets and, and get it ready. And I love to get it started, man. It's exciting. It's exciting to see something new start. But then, man, I get bored. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I get bored. And I'm so bad at this that my wife, Susan, she, she will not let me start another project. And I'm like, Susan, what do you think about if we do this? This would be really cool. She's like, no. I'm like, why? 
She says, because you still haven't finished that. And when are you going to do this? When are you going to have time to do this project? I'm like, I don't know. I'll have time. She's just like, no. So then I go off and pout, you know, over there with Dake and Jackson. I go pout and, and, and sulk. And, I, you know, as I didn't get my way. And, and, and I just don't finish things. I mean, I, I love to start them. I, I, it finish them, man. It just gets boring. Just get bored. And so I love to start them, but I hate to finish them. And we read in these scriptures right here, when we're looking at, at, at Acts 1, 1 through 8, we're reading a continuation. Luke 24, at the end of, of Luke, Luke 24 and Acts 1, 1 through 8, they overlap in time. And so what you literally see is in the gospel of Luke, you see the gospel of Luke end and you see the book of Acts begin. Luke wrote both. And you see him pick up where he left off writing this letter or this account, the Acts of the Apostles to a man by the name of Theophilus. And there's something interesting as I was reading this again the other day, there was something interesting that jumped out at me. And, and this is what I want you to hear first. It says in my former book, Theophilus, I began or I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. But what did we just read that he did? He left. And so in Acts 1, we see where Luke's saying, Jesus began this work. But then we began to realize, like if he began it, he didn't finish it. There's still work left to be done. And I was reading through this and as I was praying through it and thinking through it on my own, I asked myself two questions. I want to ask you these same two questions. Number one, why? Or what was the work that Jesus didn't finish? And two, why did he leave? What was it that was left undone? And why did he leave? Look at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to go through a lot of scripture here, especially in the beginning. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. Listen, what was the work that Jesus began? Making disciples, right? What was the first thing he did when he began to, to, to do his ministry? He called who? The disciples. He called the people to follow him, to be a part of his work. What's the work that God wants to continue to see happen? Being disciples. Not a trick question, promise. None of these will be trick questions today. Making disciples. He wants us to continue to make disciples so that the work that Jesus began that was unfinished was making disciples. Now let me ask you this. Can't we just look around us and realize that Jesus' work wasn't finished? I mean, look, look around. Some of you can look to your left or right. Don't, not right, don't do it right now. And you can look at them and you know like that is a unfinished work. And you just know. But the reality of it is Jesus has called us to make disciples. Jesus, this is what Jesus has called us to do. 
And when we look at the world around us, this is what we know. Just like you can walk in my house and look, if you look close enough, you don't even have to look that close. You can tell there are a lot of unfinished projects. When we walk out in the world, when we walk out of the doors of this church, is it not easy to tell that there are a lot of unfinished projects, some projects that Jesus needs to start a new work in their lives? There are some people sitting here today who do not have a relationship with Christ. And today is the day that Jesus, man, he is knocking on the door of your heart and maybe has been for a while and just asking, will you not open the door and let me come in and begin a work in you? And the reality of it is, guys, we're called as the church to make disciples. Second question, why did he leave? You ever had a friend who would come over and help you start a project and then when you get to the hard part, they just leave? Like, what kind of friend is that? And I believe the disciples were asking the same exact question that we would be asking and that we are asking right now. Jesus, why are you leaving? You've only been here 30 something years. You haven't been doing ministry, but three. Man, you've done some really awesome stuff, but you've only, this thing's only been going on for three years. There's a lot of work left to do. Why are you leaving? Why, why would you walk away from us? Why would you leave? And Jesus promises them in Matthew 28, 18 through 18, listen, I'm not leave, I'll never leave you orphans. So where are you going? Was he lying? No. Listen to John chapter 16, verse 5. Verses 5 through 7. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He's trying to prepare them for what's going to happen and what's to come. He says, now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. He knows they're going to be sorrowful. He knows that they're wondering these things. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is telling them, guys, listen. I know this doesn't make a lot of sense. I know we seem like we've only just begun to do the things that we're supposed to do. But understand this, it's good for you that I go away. And I began to wrestle with this, man. When the first time I ever read that, I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, time out, time out. God, why is it better for me that he went away? Because really think about this. Can you imagine walking beside Jesus? Would that not be awesome? Like you could talk smack because you know, you, you got Jesus. Like Jesus, you know, he just, but it'd be awesome, man. Walking with him, seeing, seeing him do miracles, seeing him heal blind eyes, seeing the lame walk, seeing all these things happen. And yet Jesus says, it's better for you if I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send the counselor. That word for counselor is a Greek word. It's the paraclete. And it literally means another one, just like the other one. All right, it's kind of easy to remember. Another one, just like the other one. And so Jesus is telling us this. If I go away and I send him, he is going to be just like me, but he's going to function better. And I literally asked God, I said, God, what could be better than Jesus walking beside me? And God spoke to my heart. And he said, Jesus living inside you. I was like, okay. You ever just been like, okay, God, okay. You don't even have a a comeback, right? 
And so Jesus says, it's better if I go away because then I can send the one that my father has promised and he'll live in you. He'll be with you and in you and he'll fill every believer. It won't be one person walking along with a handful of people, but every believer would be filled with the power of Jesus. That is our promise today, people. Listen to me, that we would do greater things than he did, not because of who we are, but because of who lives inside of us. That is awesome. Glad y'all are excited about that. 15 of you. But it's awesome, man, that God, what an awesome privilege that we have. Then when we come to to the scripture here in in Matthew 28, where he gives us the great commission, we come to the scripture in John 16, five through seven, where he gives us the great promise. When we come back over to Luke 24, listen, we come to Luke 24, 45 through 53. We go back to Acts one, one through eight. This is what we see. We see God's great commission and God's great promise put together. That I'm giving you a great mission. You're going to go make disciples, but I'm also giving you a great promise that there's going to be one who indwells you, who fills you, that's going to enable you to do all the things that I've put before you to do. In Acts 1.8, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait there. You can't do anything until you receive this. Until you are clothed with this power, you can't do anything. But once you've received it, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You'll go not just geographically to different people groups, but you'll go to all people proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That you'll be so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll tell other people about what I've done in your life. Isn't that awesome? That we get to be a part of that process, a part of people going from death to life. That what happens in our life doesn't just stop at the moment of salvation, but there's something that's implanted in us that continues to grow in us until the point that it overflows out of us into this world. And we get to be a part of other people's lives being changed. That's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. That we get to be a part of that Next question I want to ask you is, did Jesus do what he promised? Did Jesus do, like, can Jesus lie? Was he like, I'll send a promise. He's like, I'm out of here. These dudes are nuts. Yes, he did what he promised. Look over in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. Told you we're going to read a lot. Flip over one page. There's one page in my Bible. I don't know how many. If you got one of those big, thick study Bibles, it's like 20 pages. Just keep flipping. You'll get there. It says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Listen, this was what was promised. This was the coming of the Holy Spirit. This was the outpouring of the spirit it was promised all the way back by the prophet Joel it was talked about all through scripture that one day God would pour out his spirit Ezekiel 36 26 and his spirit would literally change our hearts our hearts of stones would be made hearts of flesh that he could write his decrees on them that the spirit of God would one day be poured out in new power and when we look at this scripture in Acts 2 1 through 4 we begin to see that this promise is fulfilled we begin to see that they begin to worship listen don't let the speaking in tongues freak you out right but they begin to worship God They began to proclaim the goodness of God. They literally began to stand up and preach the gospel. 
So did he give them what he promised? Yeah. Like, no, I'll tell you again, no trick questions, okay? Yes, he gave them what he promised. What did the power do? Did it help them? Did it do any work in their lives? Listen, do you think after the day of Pentecost, they walked out of of the room they were in and, and, and they went home disappointed? I don't think so. I don't think they were disappointed. How many of y'all remember when I did the little illustration? Some of you have been here for a while. We had a little table set up over here and I had a nice little wooden box. And, and the whole point of the thing was we had a model car and we poured the pieces of the model car into the box. Anybody remember that? Some of y'all are here. Some of y'all are paying attention. Some of y'all are sleeping. And, and, and we poured the, the, the contents of this model car into the box. And the point of it was I had placed a firecracker inside the box and the little fuse was sticking out of a hole I drilled in the side. It was brilliant right? I had the firecracker in there, had my little lighty thing, and I lit the firecracker. You remember what happened? Nothing. Dud. I was like, all right, let's try this again. Pulled another one out, stuck it down in the box, lit it. Nothing. Dud. And you know, the, the, the car, it was the firecracker was supposed to blow up, and I was going to ask you the question. Now, how many of you think that the car was put together by the explosion. Well, nobody thinks that. And so I was going to disprove the Big Bang Theory right there. Nothing's put together from an explosion. But the first firecracker didn't light. The second firecracker didn't light. So I'm down to my last firecracker. And I'm thinking, for the love, please light. Nothing. So then I'm just like, okay, I may take some shrapnel here. But I just opened the top of the box. I put the lighter on the firecracker. The thing would not blow up. All three were duds. And I'm, I'm sweating. Like my illustration, it ain't, it ain't working. I'm like, what do I say? What do I say? I'm like, of course we can't blow up a firecracker in the high school. Right? They were all duds. They wouldn't blow up. I was disappointed. I mean, that was going to be an awesome illustration. I might go to jail for lighting a firecracker in Statesboro High School, but I'm going out in a blaze of glory. Because that was going to be awesome. And, and, and nothing happened. It was a dud. But here's the thing. I wonder if for some of us in here today that our experience with the Holy Spirit may have been like that. And we felt like we were promised something life-changing. That we felt like we were promised something that was going to make a difference. But then it seemed like, man, especially over time, it just fizzled. But I look at these disciples and I look at their lives, especially after this day, and they were transformed. Not everything was perfect, but they found power to go through the things that were in front of them. To proclaim the gospel boldly. That even when they were beaten and stoned and martyred, they were praising God. My goodness, I couldn't find my car keys this morning and I was pouting. And they're they're getting drugged behind horses. Yet they're worshiping God all the way through. And I have to ask myself, do we have that? Do we have that? 
Did it make a difference in their lives? I want us to look real quickly at one person. And this poor guy gets picked on all the time. He's probably going to punch us all in the face when we get to heaven. But the life of Peter. Y'all know Peter? Walked on water, cut the dude's ear off when they arrested Jesus in the garden. Peter. You got to love Peter. Because Peter makes us all feel better about ourselves. But Peter, you remember, in and, and, and pre-Pentecost, pre-Pentecost Peter, try to say that like 10 times fast. Pre-Pentecost, I was trying to do it last night. I was like, you can't do it. Pre-Pentecost Peter, you can't do it. And, and, and pre-Pentecost Peter, man, he didn't do so good. You remember the, the disciples were out in the boat and it was storming. The waves were big and everything was going crazy. And they're out there. They're thinking like, okay, what's up? What's up? You know, and, and then they look and Jesus is like strolling across the ocean. So what's up guys? And Peter, he's like, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus is like, all right, man, if you, whatever, Peter, come on. And you begin to see in Peter's life, man, Peter wanted to be characterized with faith. But, but, but one of the things we need to realize about Peter is that before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, before the day of Pentecost, his life was more characterized by fear. Hey, think about it. Now, now, granted, let's give him a little bit of credit. He got out of the boat, right? Most of us, by our reluctancy to take our next steps of faith that are way less dangerous than stepping out into the ocean, We show that, 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 that we're, we're, we're probably not as courageous as Peter. But Peter steps out of the boat. And like the first two steps, he's like, oh man, this is awesome. And then it says he looks and he sees the wind and he begins to be afraid. And he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches down and grabs him. So we see this man, Peter, who wants to be brave. He wants to have faith. He wants to be Jesus's guy he wants to be the one that that fights with jesus no matter what just stands by him and yet we see this guy who over and over again is riddled with fear jesus says and the same thing we see in peter's pre-pentecost life is is we see that he struggled with trust jesus said you got afraid because you didn't trust can we just be honest enough in here today that say, say sometimes we struggle with doubt? Can we just be honest and say that most of our issues come from the fact that we will not trust God? And that we do good for a while and then all of a sudden something comes up or something happens and we look at the situation and we go, can I really trust him through this? And this is really what happens to Peter. Peter's like, all right, it's awesome. I'm walking on water. Whoa. I am on the ocean. You know, Peter used it to brag later. They were probably arguing about who was the greatest. Peter's like, y'all ever walked on water? <laughs> but in the moment, he looks at the wind and he begins to doubt. Can, can God really do this? Is this really possible? And he begins to doubt. I would ask you, how is your faith journey? How has it been hindered with doubt? Is it being hindered with doubt right now? The third thing I would tell you about pre-Pentecost Peter is that he was hindered by past failure. Y'all remember when Peter told Jesus, he was like, Jesus, I will never deny you. Peter's like, or Jesus is like, shut up, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Jesus, 
You know, I don't know why they use some things like that, but before the rooster crows, you'll deny him three times. You're going to deny me three times. And then we see it happen on the night Jesus is arrested. Three different people come up to him and say, you were with him. And Jesus is like, I don't know him. The rooster crows. Jesus, or Peter sees Jesus. And the Bible says his heart was broken. That this tough fisherman in Matthew 26, 75 was so hurt that he went outside and he wept bitterly. And here's the crazy thing. It didn't even stop for Peter there. Even after Jesus died, he was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected. Jesus, or Peter still struggled with failure. He still struggled with his past um, mistakes. I mean, come on. There are people in here today, you know, if you're honest, you would say, I struggle with the things that have happened in my past. Peter was the same way. He was struggling. In fact, they were in a room and Jesus like just appears in the room. So he just walks in. The doors were locked. He walks in. I don't know how, you know, I guess he walked through. Maybe he like did, you know, some kind of Jedi mind trick on the door and it opened. I don't know what he did. But it says he walked into the room. And he begins to talk to the disciples. And then he leaves. And the, basically the, 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 the conversation among the disciples went something like this. Wow. That was awesome. And you would think. That they went out and did something amazing. In fact, you would think Peter went and started a worldwide preaching tour that caused mass revival. No. It went more like this. Well, that was Jesus. Yeah, didn't they kill him? Yeah, they killed him. Did we just see a dead man? Yeah. And then Peter said, let's go fishing. That's basically what happens. They get up. The next time we go and we see Jesus appearing to the disciples Peter's in a boat fishing. Jesus yells from the shore and he says, Peter, it's me. Hey, what's up? Peter jumps in and he goes over to Jesus and Jesus very tenderly and very um, compassionately asked Peter three times. He says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, you know, I love you. And at the end, Peter is so hurt because of the questions that he begins again to weep. And Jesus says, if you love me, and he three times, he instructs him to take care of the flock or his people. And we see in this, Jesus not just saying, Peter, your sins are forgiven. Your past is is history. Let it go. Move forward. We see Jesus reinstating Peter to his calling. Peter wanted to be the rock, but he couldn't be the rock. How many of us would say that our lives are characterized more by fear than faith, more than by doubt than trust, more by our past failures than the victory we have in Jesus, more by condemnation then the forgiveness that Jesus has offered us, listen to me, that's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is what we see in the book of Acts. When we see people walk free of their past, we see ordinary people become extraordinary because they are filled with an extraordinary God and they do incredible things for the kingdom. That's normal Christianity. Not what we've seen in our culture where we walk in one Sunday, walk out the same Sunday, keep doing that for the rest of our lives. And we honestly ask ourselves, why am I really doing this? What's the point? But we see a man 
from pre-Pentecost Peter to post-Pentecost Peter, we see a man whose life was transformed. Can God take a man riddled by fear and give him great faith to do incredible things? Yes. Can God take a man who was characterized by doubt more than trust and do great things? Yes. Can God take a man who is living in failures or a woman? I'm not just excluding you. Okay. Or a woman who is riddled who is plagued by their failures and condemnation and set them free in forgiveness to blaze a path for the glory of God. Yes, he did it in the life of Peter. But here's the question we've got to understand. Can he do it in yours? Can he? I mean, look at this. Is this power even available today? Is it? Is he here now? Yes. Emphatically, yes. Is this power available? Yes. And I want you to understand that very clearly, that it is yes. It is available. How do I know that? Listen, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 isn't finished. Right? Did the disciples need the power of God to evangelize the world? Yes. Are we better than them? No. No. We see this man, Peter, his life transformed. We see in Acts 2, where he stands up and preaches the first sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord. And he didn't preach seven ways to make your life better. He called the people who killed Jesus murderers. And he told them, he said, now repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 39 and he says, this promise is for you and for your children, for those who are far off and those who are close. In other words, it's for everybody who will repent of their sin, meaning turn from the sin that is in your life and turn to the life changing and life saving power of Christ. That the power of the Holy Spirit is available, that it still transforms our life. I want you to think about the power of God like this, that the power of God is simply this. It is God's clothing. It's God's power clothing our weaknesses. That's what it is. We've all got weaknesses, but Luke 24 says that we would be clothed with power. Doesn't mean everything's perfect. It just means when the imperfect comes that we're able to rise above because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we don't have to fear tomorrow. Some of y'all look at me like I'm speaking Greek. We don't have to fear tomorrow. Greater is he in us than he who is in the world. But listen, the last hundred years, there's been a lot of debate, a lot of misunderstanding surrounding the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say in a lot of churches, that the Holy Spirit is like, kind of, it's kind of like crazy cousin Eddie. You know what I'm talking about? Like you love him, but you really don't want him to come to Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I'm saying? You, you've all got that family member. You got that family member. Raise your hand. Be honest. If your hand's not up, then you're him. <laughs> You'll raise your hand next time, won't you? But it's in every family. You've all got that person. And we, we, we want the Holy Spirit, but we're kind of like, Holy Spirit, you know, we'll just, we'll Facebook. We'll talk on the phone. We'll tweet. What's up? You know, but, but we don't know if we really want him to show up because I mean, he showed up in Acts 2 and there were tongues of fire on people's heads. 
You got all kind of crazy. But here's the thing. Do we really think we can live supernatural lives without supernatural power? Do we really think we can do what God's called us to do, the work of the kingdom of God without the power of God? How arrogant is that? We can't do it without his power. We can't do it. And the thing I want you to understand is that all this stuff we do, man, like we got some incredibly creative people in our church that do websites. We got some incredibly gifted musicians that that play incredible music. We got an amazing, I'm just kidding about that part. You can ask Susan how much I'm kidding about that part. But the reality of it is, listen to me. We, whatever we do, does not matter if it's not done in the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit does not move in our hearts, it does not matter. There's been so much confusion. I mean, what is it? What, I want to give you just some things real quick that, that, that are, to just give you a basic outline of what the Holy Spirit does, who he is. And the first thing I want you to understand is this. You can write these down. You can study them more later on your own. The first thing I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit is that when you receive Christ's invitation, making him the Lord and Savior of your life, you receive the Holy Spirit, period. When you receive Christ's invitation, making him the Lord and the Savior of your life, you receive the Holy Spirit. End of discussion. You receive him. He is in you. Well, I don't feel him. I don't care. The word of God says that if you've trusted in Christ, then the spirit of God is in you. Listen to Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.13 tells us that we were baptized by one spirit into one body, meaning that when we became believers in Christ, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God came into us, it clothed us so that we became a part of Jesus, becoming one with him and one with each other. That's why we're the body of Christ. When you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Holy Spirit remains with you and in you. First Corinthians. Or second Corinthians, I'm sorry, go to second Corinthians. Y'all don't have to flip, I'm gonna go fast. Second Corinthians, one. Verses 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit remains in you. The Bible says that he is like a deposit, that he is a guarantee that is placed in our lives, that seals our lives, that says what you've received is a foretaste of what is to come. You are a child of God. You can't do enough good to make up for the bad. The way we know we are God's child is that he has poured out his spirit into our hearts. And Galatians says that we cry out, Abba, Father, meaning Daddy, I am your child. When we receive the Holy Spirit, he stays with us and remains in us. Number three, the Holy Spirit directs and empowers you. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, walk in line with the Spirit. As the Spirit leads, let's walk with Him. And the Bible says that He empowers us. As you look at the lives of the apostles in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit empowered them as they followed His lead. It's becoming obedient to the promptings of the Spirit of God. 
literally being controlled by the spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, do not be drunk with wine for it leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The literal Greek there, listen, it means, I'm talking a lot of Greek today, I smell smell smart. (laughs) Literal Greek, it means to be being filled. It doesn't mean a one-time event. It means that when we become a Christian, that our lives should be characterized by a continual filling of the Spirit of God. That we begin to see God working in our lives. I don't know how many of you, it relates it to alcohol. I would say this, there's probably a lot of you in here today who you know what it's like to be under the control of alcohol. Right? Right? You do stuff like none of you made the best decision of your life when you were drunk, right? No, the worst decisions I've ever made came when I was intoxicated, right? And and, and like, like singing karaoke in front of my in-laws and about 20 other people from Statesboro. It was embarrassing. Singing to Susan. I thought it was awesome at the time. I was like, I'm going to love you. You know what I'm talking about? Randy Travis. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In front of everybody, hey, I love you, honey. She's like, oh, dear Lord, kill me. <laughs> we do stupid stuff. We're under the control of the Holy Spirit, or, or of alcohol. But when we come under the control, <laughs> we can do stupid stuff under his control too. But when we come under the control of the Spirit of God, we begin to walk by the Spirit. We begin to be characterized not by the, 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 the sins of the flesh and the things that everybody else is doing, we begin to be characterized by the holiness of God. The fruit of the Spirit begins to be worked out in our lives as He leads us and as He empowers us. The next one is that it's also possible, number four, it's also possible to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Ephesians four thirty. It says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. So it is possible that we hinder the work of the Spirit in us. How do we not hinder? We become obedient and we do what God is telling us to do. We walk by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. Number five, the last one. God's desire is that the Holy Spirit would overflow in our lives. John chapter 7. I love this scripture. Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast in the fall of the year where they celebrated the harvest. And on the last day of the feast, in verse 37 of John 7, it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, it's like, I can't take it anymore, I gotta tell him. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is saying, listen, those who believe in me, I'll pour out my Spirit, not just in a little bit, but I'll pour him out in such an abundance that you can't contain him. It's going to overflow in your life. I stole a balloon from Dake and from Jackson. They don't know, don't tell them. But I stole it last night and I wanted to use it to kind of illustrate what happens. When we become a Christian, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so we receive him. Look, watch, I'm gonna try to do it. If I pass out, come get me. We receive the Spirit of God. God lives in us. We become obedient. We begin to follow him. He begins to empower us. 
We surrender to him and we are being filled with the spirit. We be being filled, right? Continuous with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's just a steady growth. It's like this. Just nice and steady. Sometimes we take huge leaps. We, re- we, we surrender. We repent of our sins. We turn from our sin to God. And God does something amazing in our life. And we see some period of incredible growth in our lives. Some of you have experienced that. Where you were just kind of steady um, on, a, on a path up and to the right. And then all of a sudden, it's like, like quick. And you've had those times in your life, man, where God just does incredible things. But then there's also times that we see Ephesians 4, 30, and it's true. And we begin to see that we've grieved the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to have less of our life. But this is God's desire that we would be so filled with the Spirit of God. Let me show you. How long y'all think it's going to take before it pops? Anybody else come blow on this thing? I'm out of breath. All right. The firecracker didn't work, but the balloon did, baby. I would say that's John 7. That was loud. Woke y'all up. John 7. That we become so filled as we walk with the spirit and the spirit does deeper and greater works in our lives that the spirit of God flows out of our lives into a dry and thirsty world that desperately needs him. How does this happen? How do we, how do we do this? There's a couple of scriptures I want to point you to. One is again in Acts 2, 38 to 39, Peter stands up and as he's preaching, he says, listen, repent and be baptized, all of you. The first step in walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is that we repent of our sins. For some of you, you need to do that for the first time today. Listen, going to Sunday school, going to Bible school, doing all the worship stuff, coming to church on Sundays does not save you. Good deeds does not save you. What saves you is faith in Jesus and the work that he's done in your life. That's what saves you. You can't be good enough. You repent of your sin and you say, I will not live this life because I'm going to accept the life that he lives. And the spirit of God comes into you and you begin to live a different life. Do you become perfect? Lord, no. But you begin to take a different trajectory that's not bent towards sin, but is bent towards God. And Peter says, repent. And then he says, be baptized. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Make disciples and baptize them. It's a clear commandment from God. Why would you be baptized? When would you be baptized? Number one, glad you asked. Because Jesus said so. Like, isn't that, that trumps everything, doesn't it? Jesus said so. He says it throughout Scripture. Be baptized. Profess your faith publicly for me. Number two, as your decision. Listen, it's not your mom's decision. It's not your grandparents' decision. It is your decision because it is your faith. God does not have grandchildren. He does not have grandsons and granddaughters. He only has sons and daughters. It is your faith. And when you come to saving faith in Christ, the Bible is very clear that you are baptized. That is your next step. Listen, if you've come to faith in Christ and you have not been baptized, you don't have to pray. Your next step is to obediently be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is your next step of obedience. It's your decision. The third one, 
is as a response to what God has done. Listen, I want to be very clear. The water doesn't save you. Jesus does. Your faith does. Baptism is an outward response to what God's done on the inside. It's a response to his grace. It symbolizes the cleansing of the water, the cleansing of Jesus's blood for our sin. It cleanses us going from death under the water to life. We've died with Christ. We've been raised to new life and the new life is given by the power of the spirit of God. So we repent and we're baptized too. Luke 11, 9 through 11, 9 through 13. Jesus says, listen, if you'll ask, It'll be given. If you'll seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. What do all those have to do with? Pursuit. It has to do with seeking Jesus. The one thing that's been on my heart so much lately is just begging God's spirit to move in people's hearts. I just know that I can't change anybody's life. At best up here, I'm a motivational speaker, right? On a good day. If the spirit of God doesn't move and listen, the lights and all this stuff, it doesn't matter if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. And my prayer is today that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart that you know, and maybe you couldn't describe it if you had to, but you just know that the spirit of God is speaking to you as a church. We can't settle for the process over his presence and we can't settle for the programs over his presence power we need the power of God and my prayer is that right now he would be ministering to you in your heart telling you what your next step is is it baptism is it surrendering something else because number three to walk in the fullness and the power of the spirit of God we surrender in obedience to what God is telling us to do We walk in the spirit. What is God calling you to surrender? Is he calling you today to surrender your pride and go into the baptismal waters and be baptized, publicly professing your faith? Some of you were baptized as babies or children. And listen, that's awesome. I have one son. We were in the Methodist church. He was baptized as a baby. But there will be a day when he makes his own public profession of faith that he will be baptized as a believer. Have you been? Is it time for you to do that? What is God God calling you to surrender an impure relationship? We just did four weeks on sexual issues. My goodness. What's he calling you to lay down? Is he calling you to quit being a, a, a slave to the God of money? What's God calling you to surrender today? Because today, this is what it is about surrendering, repenting of our sin, turning to Christ and allowing God to do what only he can do in us. Do we desire this? Do we desire him more than breath himself? Part of what we may need to do today is hit our knees and say, God, I need you to touch me. Now, listen, here's the deal. We got some folks that's going to be baptized today. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be absolutely incredible. But here's the thing that we did not want to do. We didn't want to fill up this big old tub out here with a bunch of water. It's warm. We didn't want to fill it up with water and not give everybody who would want to be baptized today an opportunity to be baptized. So here's the deal. And some of you have been here long enough, you've seen this before. But here's the deal, guys. If you know your next step today is that you need to be baptized in submitting to God, then we got you covered. Amen. Amen. We got shorts. Them some big boy shorts right there. 
We got sports bras. We got t-shirts, dark ones. We got, we got panties. Hold them for me, Bo. Listen, this is what I can promise you. There is nothing that you need that we don't have. So here it comes. It comes down to this decision. You know that today the Lord has spoken to your heart and today is the day that you need to be baptized. That you need in obedience to the word of God and to Jesus Christ as your next step of faith to be baptized. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to count to three. And you know, you know that you need to be baptized today. And sincerely in your heart, you want to make that public profession today that I'm surrendering my life to Christ. I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats and boldly come to the front. And I'm going to pray to God somebody comes. Or I'm going to look kind of stupid. But here's the deal. You know God is knocking on the door of your heart. And you know today you need to be baptized in obedience to Christ. I'm going to count to three. You come. One, two, three. Will you get out of your seats and come forward? I know some of you need to be baptized. Come on. still sitting down you know the Lord spoke to your heart come on we won't bite the water's warm amen all right one more chance your heart's beating 100 miles an hour you know it's time all right well, here's the deal. Man, we're proud of you guys for making this step. It's awesome. We've got, we've got clothes and towels and everything that you're going to need. Um, I'm going to let you follow Billy Shiver, the big guy over there. Um, you can follow him. And, uh, man, so proud of you guys. Thankful for what God's doing in your heart. And we'll see you all in just a minute. Awesome. Now, here, here's, the, here's, here's what's in this for the rest of us. I believe probably everybody in here has a next step you need to take. My encouragement is for you today. If it's repenting of a sin, something in your life that you need to turn from and turn to Christ, trusting Him that He'll be all you need. If it's just surrendering your your life in a way of saying, God, whatever it is you want me to do. I don't know, somebody in here may have a call to ministry on your life and you know, you're like Peter, man, that he has called you to ministry and you know this, but you feel like your past has somehow disqualified you from being used by God. I want to say, look at the life of Peter. What is it that God needs to do in your heart? Maybe it's swallowing your pride. Maybe it's finally accepting the forgiveness that Jesus has offered you. For some of you, man, you don't have a hard time believing that God will forgive you. You have a hard time forgiving yourself. Maybe today is the day you need to surrender the unforgiveness you hold against yourself and walk in the freedom that God's called you 
to walk in. I don't know what's hindering you, but I know this. You have a very big God who loves you in incredible ways, who beckons you to come, to turn from that and to come to him. And his promise is that he will give us the Holy Spirit to equip us and enable us to do all things. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one last song before we go out and uh, celebrate with these folks and eat some food and have a good time. I want to encourage you to stay, but I'm going to pray. When I get done praying, I'm going to ask you and surrender. If you're making that decision today, Lord, fill me, use me. I want you to come to the front and I want you to give God your life like a blank journal and say, God, you write on it what you need to write. You fill me to overflowing the power of your spirit and whatever it is you want to do in me, do it. Whatever it is you want to do through me, do it because I'm trusting you. That's our opportunity this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, just do an incredible work in our lives, Jesus. We need you. We need you. We can't do this without you. We can't do life without you, God. Or we can't We certainly can't do ministry without you, God. We can't be husbands. We can't be fathers. We can't be mothers. We can't be wives. Not the way you call us to without you, Lord. And I pray that we would set our eyes firmly on you and that you would do incredible work in our hearts as we come and we surrender ourselves to you. Mighty power of Jesus.